We're going to be reading Titus 3, 9 through 15. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let, their, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father God, the price that you paid for us, the debt that you paid for every single one of us is an amazing grace. I pray, Father, that today through the message, through time and your word, through absorption of the corporate movement of believers, that, Father, that would be refreshed in us, that would be made new, that we would never forget that where we are is because you let us be there. Father, I pray that we would leave here and everything that we would do would bring glory to you, not perfectly, not without error, and certainly not without sin, but Father, with your grace, I pray that we would be glorified and people would know us because we've been with you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. And you can be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. Really good to see you guys and be with you today. Excited to worship with you and, and look at God's word together. If you're new, let me just say this. I'm always standing at those back doors right in the lobby. If I haven't met you yet, uh, just stop by and say hello. Uh, I'd love to answer any questions you may have. I know sometimes visiting a church can be overwhelming, and so we just want to make that as, as easy as possible for you. Today, as we get into God's Word, we are finishing the book of Titus. And if you haven't been with us, we've addressed a lot. We've addressed things like integrity and influence, belief and behavior, grace and good works. And today, we're talking about protection and partnership. And it's interesting, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, we had a guest speaker named Robert Watson, and, and he got this amazing passage on grace, and the, the grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ, and what that leads to. And, and then last week, we had Zach, and he got to talk about this amazing transformation that we've experienced in Jesus Christ, and that we're, we're all coming from the same boat, we're all dead, and he makes us alive. And today, I get to talk to you about division. <laughs> Not sure who planned this out. It was me. But it's actually really important. It's important for the Christian. It's important for the church. And even if you're here and you'd say, well, Tim, I'm not a Christian, it's important for you. And you see it right now, don't you? You see it in our world. You see it among races. You see division among political parties. You see it in the church. And it was so in Paul's day, and it is in our day. And so Paul is going to give Titus a word. He's going to give us a word of how do you deal with division in the church? How do you preserve the unity of the church? And he's basically going to give us two things. If you're taking notes, these are the two main points of the sermon. He's going to say this, protect good news and partner in good works. 
And so we're going to get into that. Look at the text with me. Verse 9, A.G. read it just a bit ago, but it starts with this word of contrast, this word but. And so it points us back to the previous verses, the ones we looked at last week, 3 through 7, talk about this transformation that we've experienced. It talks about this loving kindness of Jesus that pulls us all out of the muck and the mire, that it changes us, that it makes us heirs to eternal life that that's what we've just experienced. And some of you have never experienced that before. Some of you, you're newer to church, you're newer to the the faith, or maybe you're just curious about the faith, and you've never actually experienced this, this good news, this transformation that leads to good works. And listen, I want to invite you to experience that this morning. In fact, I insist on it. Is that too strong? Paul says that, right? Verse 8, look at the verse right before. He says, I want you to insist on these things. And so there are some things Paul is saying you need to focus on. And then he's going to tell us in verse 9, there are some things you need to avoid. So that word avoid in the original language literally means to turn oneself about as to face the other way. So essentially what Paul is saying is this. He's saying focus on these things, like laser sharp focus. And what are those things? It's this good news that leads to good works. And these other things, these other things over here, you need to flee from these things. You need to flee from these things and you need to focus on these things. And that's what Paul is getting into as we dive into this passage. And there's a reason for that. Verse 8 talks about this good news that leads to good works, that it is excellent and profitable for people. In verse 9, as he talks about these things to avoid, he says they are unprofitable and worthless. And what's interesting, if you look at the text with me, the things he says to flee from, they're not Satan, they're not the government. Those two things are unrelated. (laughs) They're not the passions of the world. No, what does it say? Look at the text with me. It says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Genealogies. Maybe some, some of you see that and you're like, who's arguing about genealogies? Well, there were some people, there were some Jewish rabbis in this day that would spend all their time arguing over who was a descendant of who from the Old Testament, who had more prominence. It was basically the equivalent of my dad can beat up your dad, right? (laughs) And they would quarrel about these things. They would quarrel about the law. They would quarrel about the finer points of the law. And they would think about what we can eat and what we shouldn't eat. And they would spend all their time focusing on this. One commentator I read said this. He said, it is much easier to discuss theological questions than to be kind and considerate and helpful at home or efficient and diligent and honest at work. That's true, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught up in the latest feud, the latest theological feud, the latest relational feud, the latest political feud, It's so easy to get caught up in that and talk about those broad things and forget about our own heart. It's easy to talk about a press conference. It's harder to talk about the person that's inside of us that may be wrestling, that may be struggling in your marriage, where you may be wrestling, you may be struggling in your friendships, where you may be wrestling and struggling in your finances. I don't don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about what was on CNN. It's so easy. It was easy in Paul's day. It's easy in our day. 
And listen, I'm not saying there's not important issues. Uh, there's issues that we discuss. There's issues that I've been in rooms with you and as a church and from the stage even, we've discussed issues in our day and it, we, we need to discuss those. But when you begin to lose your mind over controversies, so much so that it causes you to lose the focus that you're supposed to have over here on the good news and the good works, that you lose that focus and you begin to lose your mind on these controversies, we're off the rails. And Paul says, these things are worthless, that in the scope of eternity, these things are unprofitable and they're worthless. Did you know as a church, we have a, a church phone number and we get phone calls, sometimes just random ones. I don't even know how they find it. Some of them are local, some of them are in other places, and they typically just want prayer. Like they typically just want prayer. Maybe it's in their own lives, maybe it's in some other people's lives, and they don't know where to turn, so they, they find a church. We have a good name, Phoenix Bible Church, right? And so they find our church, because Google makes it happen, and they call us up and they just ask for prayer. And some of them are crazy situations, some of them are just minor situations, but they just want someone praying for them. You know what they don't need in that moment? A debate on the finer points of eschatology. Like as they talk to me about needing prayer, they don't, they don't need me to say, well, I know you're hurting. And you may have hope. It really all depends on if you're pre-trib or post-trib. <laughs> I mean, once we figure that out, once we nail that down, then we can figure out how to help your issues and pray for you. Listen, some of you are completely lost right now. That's totally fine. You don't need to know what that means. You just need to know that in that moment, that is not profitable and excellent for them. That what is profitable, what is excellent is the good news that leads to good works. The fact that Jesus came for them, that he died for them, that he is coming again for them, even though nobody knows when that's going to happen except for the Father. And they need to know that. Because that is profitable. That's excellent for everyone. And listen, as we think about the people in our world that are hurting, we have a broken world, don't we? I mean, you just think about the poverty. You think about the racism. You think about the violence. You think about all the kids, specifically in Arizona, that are in the foster system that need to be adopted, that are neglected and abandoned by their parents. You think about the problems of our world. And listen, you need to know Ephesians says that it's not just a physical brokenness that it's a spiritual battle. That is going on all the time in our world. And we're sitting around, listen, we're sitting around debating Trump versus Clinton. They're not going to be able to fix any of that, <laughs> right? But how many times do we lose our minds over those things and forget to focus on the good news that leads to good works, that's excellent, that's profitable for everyone. And Paul is pleading with Titus, and listen, I'm pleading with you, and he's pleading with you in this moment. Stay focused. Flee these controversies. Flee these quarrels that in the scope of eternity are worthless. Stay focused because the needs are too great and the gospel is too good. That that's what people need. So you and I, the church, we need to stay focused. So two questions for you to help you in this. The first is this. Have you gotten caught up in controversies? Have you gotten caught up in them? I'm not saying do you not talk about them. We all talk about them. We need to accurately view them theologically, biblically. 
But have you gotten caught up in it? Like, is your mind consumed with those thoughts? Like, you wake up in the morning fearful, anxious, ready to debate, right? Or have you been caught up in controversies that if you just pulled back for a moment are worthless in the scope of eternity? Have you gotten caught up in them? Are you someone who spreads controversies or do you stop them? You spread them or do you stop them? Uh, Tim Chester, the guy who wrote the devotional book that we had for sale in the lobby. Uh, if you didn't get one of those, you can still grab one of those. You're just 10 bucks to get a picture of the book of Titus. Really helpful. He says this. He says that with controversies, that some of us are like a cul-de-sac and some of us are like a channel. It's a great illustration. Some of us, when it comes to controversies, you're faced with things, you're like a cul-de-sac. So it stops with you, right? But others of us are like a channel, like it just keeps flowing right through you, right? And it goes out to other people and it goes out to our world. So as followers of Jesus, are we like a cul-de-sac where it stops with us? Or are we like a channel that spreads it to everyone around us? And as I thought about this, my wife and I, when we have people over, we uh, usually light a few candles around the house because we don't want it to smell like diapers, right? That's our version of hospitality. And... You know what my four-year-old son loves to do? He loves to go around to all the candles and put the lid on them, right? All of them. And it drives my wife crazy because she's thinking, I just lit those. Like, what happened to the candles? Well, Ashwin went and he put the lid on all of them because he thinks it's fun. As followers of Jesus, as you're faced with controversy, if somebody brings that to you, you see it on social media, you don't need to fan that flame. You need to put a lid on it. You need to be a cul-de-sac, not a channel. That as the church, we should be different. We should be like that. And so maybe somebody's brought this to you this week. Maybe somebody's brought this to you this morning at our church, and you thought, ah, should I... Should I react to this? Should I retweet this? Should I rant about this on the blog later today? No. You're a cul-de-sac. You're not a channel. You're a follower of Christ. You don't spread controversies. You stop them. You point people to Jesus. You focus on good news and good works. And it's because we need to protect the good news. And we need to protect it from division. Look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10, it says this, is for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Paul's saying that there's these foolish controversies that anybody can get wrapped up in. But there's these other people that intentionally stir up division. You know, it's interesting. As you look at churches, what typically takes down a church is not external oppression, but internal division. Have you seen this before? It's typically not external oppression. It's not like all of our enemies. It's not our religious liberties getting taken away. It's not Westboro Baptist picketing us. It's not the outside oppression. It's the internal division that often takes down a church. Last weekend, my family and I went to Sedona. If you've never been to Sedona, it's beautiful. And uh, we went there for a wedding. And a couple in our church got married, Andres and Tara. It was a beautiful wedding and fun to celebrate them. 
And if you're going to go to Sedona, you can't just go do one thing. Like, you've got to tour around because it's beautiful. And so we did that as a family, and we went to a place we've never been before, and it was a church that's built into the Red Rocks. It's called the Chapel of the Holy Cross. If you've never been there, you should go. It is an amazing structure. And so we go, and, and we're touring around the facility just like everybody else is and going to the gift shop and all those things. And I asked a few people that work there, like, what are the Sunday services like? Like, what time do you guys meet? I mean, what's this church really about? What's the DNA? Because I'm weird, and I'm a pastor, right? <laughs> so we're touring around, and I'm asking all these questions because I want to know. And, and the guy I'm talking to just says, you know, we don't, we don't meet here anymore. I said, oh, really? Why, why not? He said, well, you know, the size, the location. And, and he said, you know, and people got in fist fights in the parking lot. And he kind of just threw that end on the end. And I was like, wait, wait, fist fights, um, parking lot. Really? And he was like, well, kind of, but not, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, really? And I, and I think he was partially joking, but that's true often of churches, right? Maybe not fist fights in the parking lot, but there's division that rises up within a church. You know what's interesting is they never start out that way. Like, churches don't start out that way. I mean, it's hard to start a church. We're almost two years into a new church. It's difficult. There's a lot that goes into it. It's a, a spiritual and emotional and a physical effort that goes into it. It's amazing, but it's a lot of work. You don't start that thinking, how can we crush this? Why would you do that? Nobody does that, but this is what happens instead. What happens instead is you start out this church and everybody's passionate about Jesus and everybody's focusing on these good news that, that leads to good works and everybody's fleeing the other things and everybody's trying to reach their city. And then what happens? A few people bring in some controversy and some division. They say, you know that music? I mean, should we do hymns or should we do Hillsong? I mean, you know, our programs, I mean, we do a lot for our young people. I mean, I love young people, but what about everybody else? We look at people in leadership roles and we think, why does he get to do that? Why does she always get to plan that? And what rises up in a church is division. And what happens is a church goes from being a church to a gift shop. It happens all the time. And I'm not picking on Sedona. I kind of am. Because somebody should meet there for church on Sundays. Amen? Somebody should meet there and celebrate the good news of Jesus on Sundays. I don't know. Maybe Sedona Bible Church. <laughs> somebody do something about that. But let's just focus on our church, right? Let's just talk about our church. What will make PBC, Phoenix Bible Church, what will make us a great church? I can tell you this, it won't be uh, amazing, cute little sermon graphics. It won't be an awesome website. It won't be like amazing, engaging programs that never, nobody's ever thought about before. It won't be persuasive sermons that I can give you and just, you know, just hit that line, right, perfectly. And you walk away, you're like, oh my gosh, I've never heard that before. That's not what's going to make us a great church. What is going to make us a great church is a people, and, and when I say people, Look around. This is you. Is a people that are unified around Jesus and his mission to rescue people who don't know him yet. 
That's what makes a great church, a unified people around Jesus and his mission. And we say, I'm going to flee these other things. I'm going to focus on these things because it is worth it. And so how do we get there, right? Nobody starts out a church that wants to be divided. How do we not be divided? How, do we, how are we unified? Two things quickly, awe and accountability. Awe of Jesus, that the reason many of us get caught up into foolish controversies and the reason people stir up division is oftentimes they've lost their awe. They've lost their awe of the gospel. Last week, Zach laid out the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of the transformation that we've experienced, right? And he talked about the loving kindness of Jesus that justifies us, that saves us, that we're all dead without that, that there's all these things, malice and everything else that we struggle with, and that Jesus steps in, he comes and gets you, and he brings you out of that, and he makes you a new person. And as he was talking about that, you guys were giving him blank stares. And he called you out on that, right? And so some of you threw in a little amen. Amen. Yes, hallelujah. Listen, don't, don't lose your awe of the gospel. And I know some of you have been in church your whole life, and I have too. And so I struggle with this at times. Some of you have been doing this. You come to church, you sit down in a comfy chair, you sing songs, you hear a word, and you leave. Some of you have been doing that your whole life. And could it be that at some point it's become normal to you? That maybe it's even become a little boring. And it's just routine. You just go to church. That's what you do. Listen, if we go down that road, we can be prone to division. We can be prone to, to controversies because we're not focusing on the good news that leads to good works. That's not wowing us anymore. We hear a passage like the one right before, three through seven, and we're like, yeah, maybe for somebody else. I mean, maybe for a new Christian, I mean, that would get them really amped up. And maybe you see somebody get really amped up because they hear about that and they're trusting in Jesus for the first time. And you sit back and maybe you don't say it out loud, but quietly you think, how cute, right? That'll fade. That you see some other people around you that are excited about Jesus and they're reorganizing priorities in their life because of that that they're changing their finances, their family structure all around Jesus and his mission. And you look, about, look at that and you step back and say, I remember those days. <laughs> How naive. That you look at somebody who's bringing up Bible verses and natural conversation and you think, show off. <laughs> right? Like, you, you think you know everything? I mean, that, you, you'll get over that. I remember when I was like you. Now, I would guess maybe none of you have ever said that out loud, at least seriously, right? But how many times have you thought that? Listen, if that's you, look, look right at me. If that's you, if you feel yourself even tempted to go down that road, if you feel your heart's disposition tempted to, to react that way, to think that way, you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to read Titus 3, 3 through 7. You need to look to God. You need to be reminded of your desperate need and his amazing grace. You need to, to stop because that is a road that leads to division. May we be a church that never loses our awe of the gospel, 
May we be a church that talks about it every Sunday. At least we get it in there somewhere. We elevate the gospel. We want to reach people with the gospel, and we never lose our all of that. Listen, you don't always have to say amen. You don't always have to raise a hand. I take that back. It, it wouldn't hurt us to be a little bit more excited, right? Come on. It wouldn't hurt us to be a little bit more excited about Jesus and what he has done. That when was the last time that that happened for you? How many times has it not? How many times have you walked in this room, heard some songs, heard a cool message, and you walked out and your heart was unmoved? How many times does that happen? Man, imagine us as a people who never lost our awe of the gospel so much that we had a laser sharp focus on it. And as we began to drift, we stopped, we paused, we looked at it again, we were captivated by it again, we began to worship God again. And what if we did that for the rest of our lives? And what if we brought other people into that? There would be unity, not division. Division can't survive in that. So the first way we're unified is we always come back to our awe of the gospel. The second way is accountability. Look at the second part of verse 10 and 11 with me. It says, for a person who stirs up division, warn him once and then twice and then have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That word warped literally means perverted. That's not sexually perverted. That's spiritually perverted. That this is someone who isn't innocently confused. It's not someone who just doesn't know enough about the Bible. This is someone that's intentionally coming into a church environment who's twisting truth in order to stir up division. It's a false teacher. Paul describes this in chapter one of Titus, that these people are deceptive. And so as you think about this, and maybe you've seen people like that or wondered, like, is that guy a deceptive, false teacher stirring up division? How do we know, right? Because it's deceptive. So how, how do we know? Maybe somebody seems like they're proclaiming the truth about the truth, but, but how do we really know? I just want to give you a, a couple of questions. And I don't want to say look for these things because I don't want you to walk around paranoid. Like who, who's the guy stirring up division? Like, don't do that. Don't be one of those people. But just a couple questions for you to think through. If I saw somebody, this would stand out. So here's these couple things. The first thing is this, is that their version of truth always ends up picking a fight. Their version of truth always ends in a fight. They say things like, well, I'm just playing devil's advocate, which, by the way, just think about, don't say that, right? <laughs> I, the devil doesn't need an advocate. Right? He doesn't need your help. Um, they'll say things like, well, I'm just a direct person. I mean, I just speak my mind. And, and every time they talk about theological things, biblical things, spiritual things, truth, it ends in a fight. It doesn't unite, it divides. That person may be the person Paul is describing. The second thing, their version of truth doesn't edify others or glorify God, but instead it elevates them. The way you can know if someone is out there intentionally trying to stir up division in a deceptive way is if they get all the glory. They're not edifying others. People aren't growing because of this. No, they're being elevated God's nowhere near being glorified 
and they're stirring up division. So these are just a couple things. You can see, how do we know? These are a couple ways that you can know. And this is a warped person, Paul says. It's, it's a person who is spiritually perverted. And so Paul says, warn them once, and then you warn them a second time, and then you have nothing to do with them. And some of you may think, well, Tim, that sounds a little harsh. But you need to know Jesus talks about this. Matthew 7, Jesus compares this to sheep and wolves. Have you ever heard about what happens when sheep and wolves get together? It's not a pretty sight. I was reading an article this week about an incident in Idaho in 2013 that wolves got a hold of some sheep, and it said they killed 176 of them in one night. Now, what's interesting is it said that they only, uh, only 10 died from bite wounds, and the rest, rest trampled each other out of fear. Only 10 died from the wolves, but the rest of them died because they were trampling each other out of fear. In fact, one reporter said that it was the shepherds actually heard the wolves early on in the night, but they failed to act until the morning. That they thought they maybe heard some wolves, but they failed to act, and then this all took place. You see, someone who stirs up division always creates a, a ripple effect. It doesn't just hurt one individual. In fact, in Titus 1, again, as Paul talks about these kinds of people, he talks about that they're upsetting whole families, that there's a ripple effect. And so as Christians, as people who believe in the the gospel and the good news, as we're holding to that and the unity of that, and we see someone who's stirring up division, it's not about punishment, it's about protection, Because there's a flock of sheep, there's a flock of people, a group of people that if this invades this space, that they could trample one another, that bad things can happen because division is dangerous. And so Paul is saying, this is is serious. They don't get a stage or a mic or a room to stir up division. We don't let that happen, that we protect the good news because division is dangerous. And you know why division is so dangerous? It's because unity is so vital, right? Division is so dangerous because unity is so vital. Psalm 133 says this. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good is it, you're wondering? Verse 2, I love this, tells us it's like a precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. So how good is unity? You know when you have so much oil on your head? (laughs) It's just drenching your head, and then it begins to run down your beard? That's how good unity is. (laughs) Right? You can't beat that. Unity is so vital, and so therefore division is so dangerous. That leads us to our next point. If we're going to be unified, what does it actually look like? We need to protect good news. We need to partner in good works. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Apparently, Paul was a snowbird. Verse 13 Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. You see that again. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful, all who are with me send greetings to you. 
Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And so as Paul concludes this letter, he mentions several people coming together to further this gospel, to further these good works. And what's amazing, what I love about this, if you really look at these people, it's a diverse group. That you have people with different vocations. You have Zenus, who's a lawyer. He's not a vocational minister. He's not a paid pastor. But you have Zenus, who's a lawyer. And Paul is saying, hey, he's part of this too. He's partnering in good works. You have Apollos, and you have Titus, and you have these other people who are vocational ministers, and you have this beautiful picture of the church and this partnership in the gospel. And even though some of them are coming, right, he's asking Titus, hey, you come here. You meet me. You raise up these other guys. You send out these other guys and give them everything you need. So you see people coming. You see people going. You see people staying. But the the beauty of it and the beauty of the church is they're all partnering in good works. They're all united around Jesus and his mission. And it makes me think about the Wagners, a family in our church who's been a part of our church since the very beginning. Uh, Just a few months ago, we got to bring them up on stage. Maybe some of you were here for that. And we got to pray for them and pray for their little kids as they go out to Honduras to be missionaries. So they uprooted their whole family, live in Phoenix, move to Honduras. We get to pray for them. We get to send them out. I get texts from Chris about what God is doing, how they're acclimating. We're going to send you guys and do an update publicly from stage, uh, I believe, on the 21st. And so you'll get to hear more about that. We get to support them financially. So as a new church, not even two years in, we get to support our own missionaries. And they're not just random people. Like, we love them deeply. We know them personally. Isn't that amazing? We're sending out people in the gospel. Some people are are going out. Some of you just now came, right? We're glad you're here. Some of you have been here since the very beginning. And even though we're in different places, we're, we're partnering in this relationship with one another to glorify Jesus and to to get a ton of joy from him. That's what you and I are a part of. This is the opposite of division. Do you see that? This is the opposite of division. As Paul closes out this letter, he's painting this picture. It's not just closing comments that you typically just like, I think it's over. You bypass. This is a picture of partnership and good works. Don't miss that, right? Don't don't close the book yet, right? Read that part. Imagine what it would look like if we began to cultivate that and grow that in our church, in the midst of the city, in the urban core of Phoenix, in the heart of our city. Imagine if we partnered for good works. How do we get there? How do we do that? I want to give you a couple questions to ask as we close this thing out. How How do we live this out? The first thing is this. Again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're faced with controversy, It's brought to you, you see it on the news, whatever the case may be, and maybe you're tempted to dwell on it. Maybe you're tempted to go out and declare it all. Maybe you're tempted to divide over it. You need to ask this question. Is this a gospel essential or is it merely an important preference? Is this a gospel essential or is it an important preference? And that's key because what you see about Paul is, as he says, avoid controversies, you can look at other letters and even in this letter and see, well, Paul, you addressed controversies, right? You addressed them all the time. I mean, read the book of 1 Corinthians. All it is is controversies he's trying to pull them out of. And so how do we know? How do we know to engage or, or we don't engage? Well, you look at it and you say, is this essential to the gospel? Or is this just an important preference of mine, of somebody else's? 
You see Jesus addressing controversies because the gospel was on the line. The good news that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he resurrected, that our only faith, that our only trust is in him, that it's by grace we alone we are saved, that he is our hope. Jesus addressed those, Paul addressed those. We have to ask, is this a gospel essential or is it merely an important preference? You get one life, right? One. We get one life together. What do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known for a controversy? Do you want to be known for someone who's always stirring up things, who's a devil's advocate? Or do you want to be known for somebody who exalts the name of Jesus, who spreads the fame of Jesus everywhere you go, who, someone who is focused on good news and good work, someone who, when, when people talk about you, like, man, that guy loves Jesus. He's living like Jesus. He's, he's trying to lead other people to Jesus. And he doesn't do any of that perfectly, but man, he is in love with Jesus and it's working itself out. It's moving him out. That's what we want to be known for. And so we have to ask, is this a gospel essential? The second question, if you are going to engage or maybe you should engage, maybe you shouldn't, but if you're thinking about it, what am I hoping to accomplish by engaging in this? Will it witness for God or win for me. That as you see something, as you're tempted to send something, as you're tempted to click enter or post it or say it, that before you do that and you think, well, I got the lines, I got the three-point outline, I mean, it's an acronym, alliteration. Before you hit send, before you say that, before you share that, you need to ask, is this going to witness for God or is this going to win for me? Is this going to divide people or is this going to edify people? Is this going to glorify God and magnify his name and have people look at him and worship him and, and come to know him? Or is this going to elevate me? If we ask those questions, I think Facebook might close down. Right? I think it might go out of business. If we were to ask, will this witness for God, will it when, for me, you need to ask that question. The third question as we talk about partnership is, are your relationships about personal consumption or collective contribution? That, that friendships are amazing, aren't they? I mean, some of you, you have friends that you love. You've, you've had them forever. Some of you are making new friends within our church. And they're amazing because you get to relate with one another. You get to go play uh, Top golf with one another. You get to hang out together. You get to talk about things together. You get to connect and be there for one another. And you get to laugh and enjoy those relationships. But listen, don't stop there. That if you have a commonality of Jesus Christ, that if you are followers of Jesus, that you are children of God, that you're not just friendships, you're partnerships in the gospel, that you can lock arms with other people and begin to dream and plan and work out good news in your spheres of influence. And you can do more together than you can apart, right? We have an opportunity coming up to do this. A, a family in our church that kind of leads our local missions is starting this thing where we're going to, every second Saturday of the month and starting in September, we're going to meet up probably in this parking lot and get some other churches. Some other churches are already on board with this and have everybody come together and then have some nonprofits that we like to partner with and, and, and we believe will help this city, that we have all them come. And it's basically like a little food court for nonprofits. And you get to come and you wear your PBC shirt. And, and, we, and we serve together and we go out somewhere and God unleashes us to go serve and partner in good works. 
Second Saturday in September, you need to be a part of that. Listen, if you're not a, a Christian, as we close out today, if you're not a Christian, I believe that today is a great opportunity for you to become one. A sermon on division, right? It's a perfect opportunity for you to begin to focus on good news and good works. You need to know that if you're trying to do that without faith in Jesus, it's always gonna lead to division. At the very least, division in your own heart, right? because you don't have the Holy Spirit of God within you. That can change today. You can trust in Jesus that he died for you. He rose again for you. He is coming back for you, that you have victory even in the midst of defeat. You can stop listening to me. You can start talking to Jesus even in this moment. You can put your trust in him and you can begin to partner in good works for his name and his fame. I invite you to do that. I insist that you do that. As Paul says in verse eight, if you are a Christian, would you join me in just praying? Our church is not even two years in, and God's done so many good things, and there's so many things, even just for the fall, that I'm excited about. There's things that I'm excited about for the future of our church, that we wouldn't just be a church that exists for us, but that we would be a church that impacts the world around us, that as we set up a baptism tank over here on Sundays, and we see people get baptized and adults get baptized, that one day we would see their kids grow up, and they would trust in Jesus, and they would get baptized, and they would be unleashed in our world for the cause of Christ, that we want to see that happen. We don't want Phoenix Bible Church just to exist we want it to impact the world around us. How will that happen? It'll happen if we're unified. It'll happen if we pray for that, because we need to pray for that. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, I do pray for unity in our church and amongst the, the church of Jesus Christ at large. God, I pray that we would take efforts to protect good news and to partner in good works, that we would dream and plan and work towards that end, that we would put our trust in Jesus Christ, not just one time, but daily, that we would never lose our awe for the gospel. Lord, we, in this moment, as we could be thinking about a lot of other things and what we're going to eat for lunch, and why is that guy so excited? And maybe I'll just go about my, my day and, you know, I, I got a budget to keep and I got some things on my to-do list and maybe I'll just move on towards that. Got to pray that we wouldn't do that that in this moment we would see your loving kindness, that it has saved us, it has justified us, it has made us heirs of eternal life, as Titus 3 says, and that we would worship you, we would celebrate you, and we would unify around that. Father, help us. We, we desperately need it. It's by your spirit and through your word we ask that. Amen. Amen.